0: You are listening to the podcast of Kings Cross Church in Charleston, South Carolina. My name's Chip. I'm here with my good friend Josh. We are two of the pastors here at the church. And if you are listening to this, you probably know that we are working our way all the way through the Bible this year in a sermon series that we're calling The Story. It's going to last every Sunday. There are actually 53 of them this year. And uh, it's divided up into 10 chapters. We just wrapped up chapter one, which took us from. Genesis 1 through 3. And one of the things that we've said is there's just no way possible for us to cover uh, every verse or even every story or every important moment in the Bible over the course of the Sundays. And so we know that people are going to have questions. And we thought uh, at the end of each chapter, maybe we would do a QA and a podcast where you could send questions in that you had about the chapter that we just finished up. Uh, and we would do our best uh, to answer as many of them as we could. And so this is the first one of those. If it goes well, then, uh, then we'll keep doing them. And if, uh, if you don't have any interest in them, then um, we'll just let them fizzle out. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, that's our plan is to do one of these uh, Q&A podcasts. We're going to try our best maybe to keep it somewhere in the neighborhood of about a half an hour. We'll see how many questions we can get through. And, Josh, I think you're going to kick us off.
1: Yeah, so I got the probably the most popular question. And that is the age of the cosmos. And so I Googled this morning, because I think it changes all the time on what at least Google is saying is the age changes
0: at least one day every day.
1: Probably. It may have <laughs> 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 probably so. May <laughs> have already changed by this afternoon. <laughs> but at least this morning, Google is saying that the age of the universe is thirteen point seven billion years. And so my question is, was the cosmos created? In six 24 hour wow. days, like 6,000 to 10,000 years ago, yeah. or was it created over the course of up until now, 13.7 billion years?
0: So you lobbed me out of easy
1: one. Yeah. So you get the easy <laughs> one. Yeah.
0: So my answer is going to be uh, unsatisfying. Um, and it's one that is probably going to, you're probably going to hear this answer repeated over the course of uh, the year. Uh, my answer is I don't know. Um, but here's what I do know. Uh, What I do know is that Genesis 1 is written uh, in Hebrew poetry. The the form of the literature is poetry. And so uh, it's an accurate representation of what God did. We know that there are truths in there. You can go back and listen to my sermon on that uh, on the website if you wanted to. But we we know, for example, that God created everything that was, that he created it uh, in a specific order, uh, he created it good. Um, these things, just because they're poetic, uh, doesn't make them inaccurate. Um, but what it, it doesn't really tell us, um, or, or it isn't intended to be rather um, a geologic history of every moment of the earth's entire creation. And so um, there are certainly periods. The question you're asking is, how long are those periods? And what I would say is that people who love Jesus and believe the Bible Um, and will be with us in heaven one day can disagree on that, uh, and that's okay. Um, I think there's a really intriguing article that you first showed me um, that I was fascinated by and that we posted on uh, the website. If you go to kingscross.com and click on the story, Um, There is an article there by a guy named Gerald Schroeder, who is much smarter than you or I, um, (laughs) or at least than me. I'll speak for myself. He has a Ph.D. from MIT in nuclear physics and Earth and planetary sciences. um, And he makes a very strong argument in that academic article uh, that the Earth is both... Uh, several billion and several thousand years old and it has to do um, with things like Einstein's theory of relativity and um, some things that are really hard to wrap your head around so I would encourage people to read that article Um, I find it convincing um, but I'm just not smart enough to articulate it the way Dr. Schroeder
1: is. So what you're going to get from Chip is some I don't knows, but (laughs) some really clear, accurate answers. What you're going to get from me is a whole bunch of speculation and some possible heresy. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) But anyway, I, I too am intrigued by the article. I was so intrigued by the article that I actually used it to give a talk on the college campus several, several years ago. In the end of the talk, I felt decently good about it, but I confused everybody in the audience. But the encouraging thing was at least people walked away saying, I think God really is over science. Like God does not contradict the Bible; does not contradict science because right. it really is intriguing when you look at that article yeah. to see how, with the expansion rate of the universe, how what was created in twenty-four hour days was also related within the expansion of the universe to what science is saying was created over billions of years. So it's it's an interesting look.
0: Yeah, and it, and it really it, it really is um, it, all truth is God's truth, and so where science uncovers a truth about the universe, speed of light. Um, theory of relativity, these truths are grounded in God's truth. And so uh, it really is. If you're interested in that type of thing, I would go check out that article. It's about five pages long. It's very accessible. Uh, You don't have to have a PhD to
1: understand it. It won't take you 13.7 billion years. It will not. It may take you 24 hours to comprehend (laughs) it. (laughs) (laughs) Okay.
0: Well, so let me jump to another question then uh, that was sent in, which is uh, how much time passed between Genesis 2 and Genesis 3?
1: All right. So that's a great question. And my answer is long enough for a lady to build a relationship with a snake. I mean that's that's about I don't know if it was twenty four hours or if it was twenty four years, not so sure. And that's one of those cases to where one of those places where it's okay that we don't know. Uh, Mm -hmm. what we do know that is in Genesis two, we had paradise. It was perfection. And in the very beginning of Genesis three it was as well, but Adam and Eve was given a choice.
0: Yeah, I agree. I think one of the things you're going to find as we walk our way through the story together this year is that we are given in the scriptures uh, what we need, and some things that we don't need, we're not given. And so, um, for example, if you were to continue reading through the scriptures, you get to Genesis 5, and, it, and Genesis 5 is a genealogy. And one of the things that it'll say over and over, for example, is, you know, um, Adam and Eve had Seth and other sons and daughters. And it doesn't tell us how many. Well, um, we don't really need to know that. Moses is writing Genesis to explain um, the history of the people of Israel to the people of Israel. And so they don't need to know every single detail, but the scriptures are sufficient for everything that they do need to know. And so whether between Genesis 2 and Genesis 3 was... You know, a week or a thousand years—we're not told that, um, but it really doesn't impact the story one way or the other. Because, as you said, the point is uh, we were given a choice, and we and we chose poorly, right? And so that we know that's for sure. Okay, let me let me um, lob another one out here uh, to you, which is um, so this transition you just mentioned from Genesis two to Genesis three. In Genesis two, the man and the woman are in paradise. In Genesis three. Um, they choose to rebel against God, um, and they break the only commandment that he had given them. And so um, one of our students actually asked his dad, um, did they know how good they had it? Did Adam and Eve know how good things were? Because if they did, why, why would they make that type of
1: choice? Right, so that's a great question, and that was actually the question that he presented to me, after we gave a sermon on Genesis chapter two. And I was Mm. like, oh my goodness, because Genesis chapter two, if you've already listened to it, we just spent the whole message talking about how great it was in the garden of Eden. And we knew what was coming, which is the next week we went in Genesis three to where they chose poorly. And so the question is, did they know how good they had it? And I would say maybe not in regards to comparison, Because up until that point, they did not know what evil was, which simply, I believe, evil is not something that was created, but it's just the absence of good. And so because everything was good, we get that over and over and over in Genesis chapter 1. That carries on in Genesis chapter 2. We see very clearly how Adam and Eve experienced the goodness of God's creation. Mm. And so I would say maybe they didn't know to some degree how good they had it, but that's not the issue. The issue because not knowing how good they had it doesn't let them off the hook. Right. The issue is their sin was they did not trust God, That's right. which was unbelief, and they thought they knew best, and they wanted to be like God, which is pride, which yeah. is what I believe. And what you said last week in the sermon in chapter, chapter three is really the root of all temptation that leads to sin.
0: Yeah. Yeah, what we talked about last week is we questioned God's Goodness, and we, and we question his word. Right. Um, and that's what they did. So whether they knew how good they... And they, they trusted had, themselves. That's, that's right. A, yeah. 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 And so whether they knew how good they had it or not, um, we, we don't know. We would be speculating to answer that. Um, what we do know is that God said what they did have was good. Right. So they
1: didn't trust him. That was it. They just yeah. didn't trust him. Yeah, they thought he was holding Right. And that's right. every time that I sin, my temptation leaves me a sin. It'll come down to when I'm looking back is that ultimately I didn't trust God's word, I didn't trust his goodness, and I trusted myself more than that. That's right.
0: Yeah. And what they did, which is going to lead into a question that um, our friend Brandon sent in, um, what they did, God had given them this one tree and said, don't eat of this tree of the knowledge of good and evil, because if you do, you're going to die. And so um, our friend Brandon uh, had a good question, which was why – would that tree even be in the garden? Why would there be a tree in the garden? Everything is good. So the tree is good and the fruit of it is good. And yet it was forbidden.
1: So let me, I love your answer on this because I know I think what you're about to say. So let me just say this kind of put you on, put on the T first of all. Um, I believe the reason why there was a choice in the Garden of Eden, I think first we need to recognize that there was a choice even before Genesis chapter 3, hmm. and that choice was given. To Lucifer, who's in heaven, and I think we'll probably talk about him mm. later yeah, on. Yeah, we got a question about yeah. Him that. Yeah, so up. he had a choice, and he chose to deny the goodness of God and said he wanted to be like God, and mm. so therefore he chose evil. Mm. And so already before the Garden of Eden, there was choice in existence in the cosmos. Yeah, And so now Adam and Eve were given a choice, and the reason they were given it's like, why were they given a choice? Why didn't God just not give them the choice? And what I believe is Man is created in the image of God. Mm. God has, obviously, the capacity to choose. Mm. And so, therefore, man has the capacity and ability to choose as well. So, anyway.
0: Yeah. No, that's good. I I would agree with that. Um, I also think that one of the things that we're going to see through the course of this year as we walk through this series together, as we kind of uh, explore the meta narrative of the Bible, is that we don't get uh, or or we aren't told um, every thought, every reason behind God's action or God's will we don't we aren't um, we don't have the ability to comprehend the mind of God hmm. um, his thoughts are higher than our thoughts his ways are higher than our ways and so there there are going to be times when um, the answer we get is he's God I'm not and there's going to be a gap
1: and we need to be satisfied with that as we look at Adam and Eve because we can see that they weren't satisfied with that that's right They weren't satisfied with not knowing everything God knows. That's right. So So I think
0: ultimately what the tree of the knowledge of good and evil presents to Adam and Eve is the same choice that's presented to to you and I and to people who are listening to this, which is um, there are some things that they could access but shouldn't. There were some experiences they should have but shouldn't. Um, th- there was some knowledge that they could have but shouldn't because it was detrimental to them. And so the choice that they have is, will they um, have their, their desires, their appetites, um, their, um, their desire for pleasure, um, their hunger, uh, their, um, their desire for wisdom? Will these things be satisfied in their relationship with God, or will they seek it from somewhere else? Mm. So when the, um, Genesis 3 says the woman looked at the tree and she saw that it was pleasing uh, to the taste, to the eyes, and that it would make her wise. So that's her, her hunger, pleasure, and, and wisdom that she's after. And what God says is you have all of those things that you need in me. Um, and what the man and the woman do is they say, no, we have to go outside of mm. our relationship with God to get these mm. things. And so ultimately um, God is telling them, if you'll trust me, you can have everything that you need, and things will be perfect. And they don't. Um, and I think the lesson in that for us is that dependence on God actually leads to a better life than independence from God. It, it, it tells us that self denial is actually the path to delight. Right. It, it tells us that um, that obedience is actually the path to enjoyment and and the fullness of life that Jesus promised. It tells us that love comes with limits, and we experience that in our relationships with our wives, right? When, you, um, when a man and a woman come together and are married, they forsake every other human being on the planet so that they might experience the fullness of God's will and God's plan for them and the love of this other individual. And understand marriage is broken, and Genesis 3 explains to us why that is. But, um, but the full enjoyment and expression of love in marriage comes with limits, namely everybody else. Right. And, and this is the choice that's presented to Adam and Eve in the garden uh, with the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, and it's the choice that's presented to us every day. Will we ultimately find our um, enjoyment and the fullness of life in our relationship with God? Or will we seek it somewhere else? Yeah, that's great. Okay. So you mentioned Satan. I think you have a, a question about him that somebody sent in, right?
1: Yeah, just simply, when was Satan uh, originally called Lucifer? When was he created? Yeah, so is our friend Abby asked this question.
0: And um, so here I'm going to go again. Uh, the short answer is we don't know.
1: <laughs> <laughs> now let's speculate. Right? <laughs>
0: but but here's, um, here's what we... Here's what we do know. What we do know is that um, Satan is a demon. He's a fallen angel, which we've called demons, who rebelled against God and was cast out of heaven. And so what we get through the course of the scriptures, uh, and I'm going to share a few passages, and you've got a passage to share as well, is we get glimpses into that spiritual realm, which is not our realm. Um, and so if you back up to what I said before about the sufficiency of Scripture, there are certain things about the spiritual realm that we don't need to know to come mm-hmm. to a place of repentance and faith and right. be reconciled to to God through faith in Christ. And so we're just not told. Um, but we do get these glimpses. And so, for example, there, there's a passage that you had in Job that gives us a glimpse into the answer to the question about like where did or when Did Satan and his fall uh, and and the demons that went with him, the angels that joined in his rebellion, when did that happen?
1: Yeah, so it was actually in Job chapter 38, and it's a passage that we studied in the first week of our devotional series uh, when we were looking at the creation of the world. And so it's a conversation, kind of sort of a one-sided conversation that God's having with Job. Yeah. And uh, he says in verse 4, so I'm going to read the verses 4 through 7 of Job 38, Where were you when I laid the foundation of the earth? Tell me if you have understanding. He's speaking of Job here. Yeah, he speak God right. speaking to Job. Yep. Who determined its measurements? Surely you know, or who stretched the line upon it? On what were its bases sunk, or who laid its cornerstone? And this is verse seven, when the morning stars sang together, and all the sons of God shouted for joy. So I think we can at least look at that passage and say that sons of God, when we look at other places in scripture, most likely is referring to the angelic beings, mm-hmm. which would include Lucifer at mm-hmm. that time, and that as God was creating the universe, cosmos, that they were there. Mm-hmm. So I think we at least have to say that it was sometime on day one or prior to that.
0: Yeah, well, I wouldn't say prior
1: to that, because I think day one
0: is uh, is the beginning of, of everything. Okay. But we know that they're created. Yeah. That's clear. Um, the, the the only being uh, uh, the only um, reality that is pre-existing eternally is God himself. Right. Um, before time space matter and things in the in the spiritual realm. So my interpretation would be not before not before day 1 but um, I, what we I would agree with you that it appears that these spiritual heavenly beings were there prior to the foundations of the earth being laid. Okay. And so maybe that means um, you know, in Genesis 1, it talks about the waters being separated and the earth being formed. And you know, maybe it's moments before
1: that, maybe it's eon. We're not told. Right. And so there at least a- it was it it was by day two. That's yeah, certainly <laughs> okay. Right. Yeah. Right.
0: yeah, yeah. So i good. Isaiah 14 um, says this in verses 12 to 14. This is another glimpse we get into this rebellious. Um, supernatural being, uh, spiritual realm activity. Um, Isaiah 14 says, How you are fallen from heaven, O day star, son of dawn, how you're cut down to the ground, you who laid the nations low. You said in your heart, I will ascend to heaven above the stars of God. I will set my throne on high. I will sit in the mount of assembly in the far reaches of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds, and make myself like the Most High, and I believe that's an interpretation of the. We're given a glimpse into Satan's motivation. Right, he he went from rejoicing at the creation of the mm. earth, like all the other angels, to desiring to ascend even higher than God Himself. Likewise, um, over in Ezekiel twenty-eight, um, got my bookmark in the wrong place here. Over in Ezekiel twenty-eight. Um, Talks about um, you were the signet of perfection, full of wisdom and perfect in beauty. You were in the in Eden, the Garden of God. Um, it, so it's talking about this one who was there um, in the Garden. That is before mankind sinned on the day that you were created. So again, reinforcing to us that Christianity does not present the idea of a cosmic duality. It mm, yeah. is not cosmic good versus cosmic evil. There is God. And then there are all the things that are created. You were an anointed guardian cherub. I placed you. You were on the holy mountain of God. In the midst of the stones of fire, you walked. You were blameless in your ways from the day that you were created. And then it goes on. It begins to talk about rebellion. In the abundance of your trade, you were filled with violence in your midst, and you sinned. So I cast you as a profane thing from the mountain of God, and I destroyed you, O guardian cherub. Jesus says something similar in Luke 10 when he talks about seeing Satan cast out of heaven. And Revelation 12 um, gives a similar language, and John gets this vision of the end of things. It talks about Satan being cast out of heaven, the one who was the the deceiver of the nations. And so while we don't get a a precise answer to Abby's question, I, I think what we can say clearly is that Um, Satan and and the other rebellious angels, who we now call demons, rebelled against God. They were created beings, um, and their attempt is to deceive mankind and to wage war against God. But we know that Christ triumphed over them on the cross, and one day, ultimately, as Revelation tells us, they will be put away forever.
1: Yeah, and I think for me, the thing that I have to take away from this. And the thing that God has very clearly revealed to us is, is that Satan is the prince of the power of air, that we Mm -hmm. see this in Ephesians 2. We see this in the Garden of Eden in Genesis 3, that he is there, he Mm -hmm. is present, and he is talking to people. And there is a conversation going on in Genesis 3 that I think is very telling, oftentimes of the conversations that we may not even realize we're having but the Satan and his forces are having with us as well. Mm. And that is a conversation where he takes God's word and he distorts it. And he causes us to question God's word. And he gives us opportunities to choose that is not best for us because it takes us away from our dependence and our relationship with God, on God. And so, um, you know, one of the questions that I thought about recently when studying this, I guess this last week, is that, is it okay, you know, Satan and his fallen angels are talking to me Mm. is it okay for me to talk back or Mm. do i just ignore and just try to run away and i think jesus gives us a great example of what it's like to have a conversation with the devil Mm. and that he has this conversation in matthew chapter 4 and that every time there's a temptation given to him that he speaks god's word back to him and then i look in revelation 16 20 where it says that uh God will crush Satan under our feet, the Mm. church. And so I think that now in this life, based on what we see in our lives, based on what we see in the original interaction that Satan has with man and woman, what I take away from that is he's constantly talking to me, trying to deceive me, trying to pull me away from my relationship with God. And what I need to do is to talk back to him with God's word. And then in doing so, I can defeat the power of evil in my life and in the world around me. And that that is ushering the kingdom of God into my heart and all my spheres of influence. And one day the kingdom of God will be totally ushered in when Jesus comes back and triumphs mm. over the devil. Yeah.
0: Yeah. I mean, so if Jesus um, battled temptation with the word of God, it's probably okay for us. That's exactly right. Yeah, that's exactly <laughs> yeah. right. Yeah. Jesus didn't rely on himself.
1: Right. Uh, and his Even own though he's thoughts. the Word of God, right,
0: <laughs> right, right. Yeah. right. But what he what he quotes back, right. uh, his response to is God's word. temptation uh, is to remember God's word and to lean into it, not into his own understanding, um, but into uh, the the perfection that was. Um, the word of God, and yes, there are things there about Him being the Word and yeah, out, and I, th- we'll, I think yeah. the thing to take away that comes is, later in the story from
1: Jesus's so <laughs> Jesus's primary reason was not to come to be an example; it was to come to die in our stead. That's, that's right. the primary reason, yeah. but He did leave us an example, sure. yeah, and that is, and I think basically He's calling us as we walk in His steps that He's calling us really to do everything that He did outside of dying on the cross because He did that sure. in our stead. Yeah. But if we see Jesus do it, then that's something that we should follow in His steps and do as well. Yeah. Maybe we can't do the miracles. Ah, uh, yeah, maybe not. <laughs> but yes, I'm with we, you. we can pray I agree. for it. I agree. I'm, not, I'm, not, I'm not throwing that out. Yeah, hey, hey. no, we've
0: experienced it. So I have um, one more question that comes from our friend Steve. But before I get to that, or, or there are other questions that you had? Um, I want to be mindful of people's time here uh, in this first QA yeah, podcast. Yeah, well, I think, there- I think
1: this one is very interesting. And this came from a conversation that I had in my grow group actually yesterday morning. So one of my friends, presented this question, Mm. and um, I thought it was very intriguing. It actually stumped me for a minute, and then I quickly tried to gather my thoughts on what God's Word says in response to this question. And by the way, we always have an awesome time in our Grow group. We meet every uh, Tuesday morning or every other week, and I would just encourage you, if you're not in a discipleship group that we call Grow Groups, I would encourage you to reach out to me or reach out to Beth Tappan and shameless get in. Plug. Yeah, shameless plug. Yes, yeah. shameless plug. Get in it. Uh, because this is the kind of stuff, these are the kind of conversations that you'll have. Yeah. He asked the question, um, Is does the Bible open up the possibility that there were other original beings? Like, Ooh. did God just create Adam and Eve because it seems like the human race kind of you get to Genesis four and five and it kind of takes off. It goes fast. It goes fast. And so is there a possibility that it wasn't just Adam and Eve? I know the Bible focuses on that, mm-hmm. but are there others? And so um I got a thought on it. I can either share my thought or you can go and then I can Let me hear your thought and okay. I'll respond. So my thought is, because I was like, oh my goodness, what does the Bible say? I know just and then I thought, you know, in Romans chapter five, verse twelve, uh when Paul is writing about the first Adam and the second Adam, and he's talking about the sin came through Adam and Mm. second Adam, which is Jesus, and that's where grace and life and righteousness come. In verse 12, he says, therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sinned. And so there are no others back before the flood or even after the flood to where there was other creatures Uh, human beings that were created outside of coming from the race of Adam. Mm. And so I think that verse is very clear. And then also Acts chapter 17, which is one of my uh, favorite passages in the Bible, verses 26 and 27, Paul speaking on Mars Hill to people that are religious, but they're not believers. And he says that God made from one man, this is verse 26, every nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth, having determined where they would live and when they would live. And so, right there, it's real clear that God made from one man, and so yeah. does not leave open that possibility.
0: Yeah. So I don't think I would agree with you. I don't think um, I don't think Adam and Eve are representative of a process that's happening in multiple places around mm-hmm. the physical globe at one time. Nor do I think that Adam and Eve are a fable or a myth. Jesus, it's very clear. When you read the gospel accounts that Jesus believed Adam was a literal human um, who really lived at a real time and place in the world. And so um, Jesus believed it, and I'm inclined to be on his side when it comes to things like this, um, <laughs> which I'm sure is reassuring. Yeah. Um, but but here's what I what I would say, because it, it, there are questions behind that question, right? Um, it, it, this isn't, Part of our reading plan this week, if you're following along with the devotional reading plan, but in chapter four, we see uh, Cain and Abel and famously uh, the first murder that exists. And uh, Cain is worried that there are other people on the planet who are gonna hunt him down. And um, and so God puts a mark on him so that that doesn't happen. And people ask, well, well who's he afraid of? Because uh, it's just him and Abel and his parents. Um, or sometimes people ask the question, well, um, where are the women coming from that for mm. for the sons of Adam and Eve to find yeah. wives? And So um, I'll back up to kind of where we began, which is to say we're told what we need to know to be reconciled to God through faith in Christ, and we're not told everything. So the Bible is not a comprehensive history of every single moment that's ever happened with every person everywhere in the entire world. So... If you read through the genealogies, what you will see is that there are many sons and daughters. But Moses is writing, again, i said this already, but I'll repeat myself, to tell the nation of Israel about its own history. And so he is tracing the work of God through the people of God um, as it uh, is necessary for them to know and to trust the promises of God and to know what it is that he's done. So, um, so that's part one, part two of my answer is the picture that's often presented by, um, by people who would, uh, would not, would say that they're not people of faith is that over the course of human history, human beings have progressively gotten better. Mm. And so we started off as Neanderthals and, and we, we you and I, and everyone listening to this podcast is existing at the peak of the human experience. We are smarter, healthier, live longer, uh, enjoy more than anybody in the history of the world. The Bible paints a different picture. <laughs> Quite clearly. The, the, the Bible paints a picture actually of a deep of a decline in the human experience. Mm-hmm. And so you see immediately after the fall, people are living six, eight, nine hundred years. Well, we're going to talk about Noah in the sermon this week. After the flood, God limits people's lives to 120 years. That's a drop off. Yeah. <laughs> I think it's reasonable to assume that as the effects of sin spread, so too people get less healthy. Their minds are increasingly corrupted. The genetic pool is increasingly corrupted, which I think is why we get eventually prohibitions from God against things like incest.
1: That's exactly right.
0: Um, because our experience, rather than progressively getting better, is actually progressively getting worse. Mm-hmm. Um, now, Jesus comes and ushers in the kingdom, and now we're living in between the ushering in of the kingdom and its fullness. Mm-hmm. When Christ returns and makes all things new again. Um, and so this question about how was the earth populated. And, um, if you think about things like fertility rates and the length of people, that the length of time that people are living, and we have a tendency to say, well, those people way back then were the exact same as we are, but worse.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: I don't think that's the case. Mm-hmm. I, I think that uh, the picture that is painted in Genesis four five and six is that people, uh, were experiencing much more. They were physically. We now Spir- they didn't have fiercely. phones, you
1: yeah. know, <laughs> Yeah, they <laughs> hadn't been in the moon yet. I don't know. Sometimes <laughs> I long for a day. I wish I was in a day where there wasn't phones. Yeah. That'd be kind of nice. But so, but yeah. But definitely physically, they did have it better. But obviously, we see, and this is where we're getting into the story uh, this week, yeah. to where spiritually they They're were trailing off, rather, and that's yeah. because yeah. they were outside of a relationship with God, and so that's right. we do see that as
0: well. Yeah, and so our story is going to zoom in um, on. not this week, but next week, on one man, Abraham, and then it's going to start to work its way out again Mm -hmm. to the fullness of people. Okay. Maybe one more question, because we need to wrap up here. Um, Our good friend, Steve, um, who is obviously following along with our devotional reading plan, because this isn't a chapter or a verse that we preached on, but it was part of the reading plan that you put together. Um, Shameless plug that people can find online Um, at kingscross.org. Click the story. Um, Take a reading plan, getting in a But his question was, in Revelation 22, too, it says that the tree of life stood on both sides of the river that flowed out of the throne room of God and of Jesus. And so his question is, um, is there just one great big giant tree with a river going through the middle of it, or are there two trees?
1: Right. And so I'll at least say this, and then I want you to take it from here. I'm very fascinated by the tree of life, and the reason I'm fascinated is because you see it throughout the Bible. The Bible talks a lot about trees, and there's some parallels that even Jesus used to the language. I'm the vine, you're the branches. And The Bible talks about a river and the connection with the Holy Spirit and streams of living water will flow through us. But specifically what we see is that in the first two chapters of Genesis, uh, there's some similarities with the last two chapters of Revelation. Mm -hmm. And so we're going from a garden to a city. Mm -hmm. And so uh, why are we going from a garden to a city? It's because God has allowed us to develop cities throughout. So we're we're part of ushering the kingdom of God Mm -hmm. as it will look one day. But there are some similarities, and what we see is in the Garden of Eden, that there is a tree of life there mm-hmm. as well as a river, mm-hmm. and there's a tree of life in Revelation That's as right. well as a river. Now, Ezekiel paints a similar, but maybe an expanded picture of that.
0: That's right, yeah. So Ezekiel in his vision um, in chapter 47, if you want to go there and read that, he he, he gets a vision of this uh, river coming out of a temple, mm-hmm. and it gets progressively deeper to the point that he can swim in it. And he says that there are trees, plural, on either side of the river, that bear fruit all year long, uh, and they are, are given for healing. Uh, and so the, the picture that you kind of get, there's similar language in, in Psalm one that talks about the righteous man being a, like a tree planted by streams mm. of water, brings forth his fruit in season, his leaf does not wither. And so this picture that you get um, is that what was in the beginning, the tree of life and a river of life is also there in the end, only it has now grown. Hmm. It, it has been cultivated. It it it's been extrapolated in the new heavens and the new earth. Consistently in Jewish writing, um, water is a picture of the Holy Spirit. And so, if you think about in Revelation twenty two, was it's a throne room of God and of Christ, and but God is Father, Son, and Spirit. Where's the Spirit? It's likely that that river is a picture of of the Holy Spirit. Mm -hmm. And so um, with apocalyptic literature, sometimes we we have to be careful trying to make it too literal because much more often what's happening is the Holy Spirit is trying to give the writers of Scripture a picture of things that it's really hard for their minds to wrap around. Um, And so the consistency is that there is a tree of life in the presence of God from which flows uh, the water of life Mm -hmm. and the people Are healed by it, receive their life from it, and it nourishes everything that is. Mm. And so the joy that we find in Revelation 22 is the consummation of these things that we see here in the beginning of chapter 1. But to get all the way there,
1: that'll be chapter 10 towards the end of the year. So we'll hold off on that for now. That sounds good.
0: Anything else before we wrap up?
1: I got a lot more questions, but I know people don't have a lot more time. Yeah, so we'll, will be true. Maybe we'll shut it down. You can reach out to us if you got any questions, and maybe we'll try to answer yeah, them Yeah, we personally.
0: set up a special email, and so if you have questions about anything through the course of the story, you can email us at thestory at org. So thestory at kingscross.org. Just shoot us an email there. We'll save them up, and we'll do another one of these podcasts as chapter two winds up. That's in five or six weeks. I can't exactly remember the plan. I don't have it in front of me. 35 days. But, five um, weeks. Five weeks. Yeah. Okay. So that's five weeks from now. Yeah. We'll do another one of these. Between now and then, you can reach out to us anytime. Hope that you'll take advantage of some of the extra resources that are online at kingscross.org. And we are glad that you're experiencing the story with us. We'll see you next time.